So I'd go pick up illegal pot uh-huh. from my buddy's house and then drive terrified through <laughs> the streets of Des Moines, Iowa sure. with this illegal pot. But then I'd go pick up my Vicodin, this Whoa. way stronger drug, and i just walk into the grocery store. What up? Fucking here Dude. to pick up. And I'd get in the car, pop two, and start driving. I got my script, got my bottle. I'm legal beagle. Holy shit. So that was uh, so that disappeared seven years of my life. Like Thanos snapping. back with another okay podcast welcome welcome back uh my name is dan o this is the 29th one of these things that we've done and what a great year it's been it's coming to an end uh this is probably the greatest run that this podcast has ever seen in terms of productivity and having guests and interest and buzz and bees and Whatever. it's uh, It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun putting these together. It is a lot of editing, but oh well, you know, because that's what you got to do. You just got to do that. Um, and just to get some housekeeping out of the way, I know people don't really like promotion, but I think you have to do it. And you know what? If you're tuned into this thing, I'm likely going to say something that I'm up to or like, hey, follow this or catch me on that, you know, because it's what it's my own thing. So why wouldn't I do that? So anyways, you can follow us on Instagram. I say us like there's a team of people. It's really just me and my other personalities. But you can follow us on Instagram at comedian.ordinaire. Posting on Instagram for the first time. Just like the podcast is spelled, you can find me on Facebook at Dan O. Oliveris. Well, I guess it's official. We're now on Facebook. Olivares. You know, however you want to say it, if you're one of those or if you're one of them, you can say it either way, but that's who I am on Facebook. I like posting random funnies, sharing some old memories. I used to be a prolific joke writer in my high school days, giving myself too much credit there. Um, shoot, man, it's been, a, it's been a really good run and a lot more to come this week's very special guest is Josh Grambo, who you will hear from in just a moment, and... If you haven't heard uh, last week's episode with Raymond Ace, the ankle biter, and his buddy BV Silica, I highly recommend listening to that. Uh, That's one of the wilder ones that I've ever done. It's one of the more explicit ones I've ever done, but it's fun. And you know what? We were recording recording pretty late, I think like 10 to 12, something like that, at night. And so, yeah, you just start talking about different things. You talk about different things later in the day than you would earlier in the day because that's how life works that was a really funny one uh raymond ace and bb silica have their own podcast that i was on and you can go and listen to that podcast if you can't get enough of this voice and these eyes even though you can't see him because it's purely audio um you can go and check that one out uh dab dreams radio the link will be in the description of this thing as well so you can go and listen to that. I recommend that one as well. That one is even more explicit, if you can believe it, because that's how they run things over there. And 
all respect to them, man. They're killing it. They're, they are a couple of creators over there. So go and listen to that one. Anyways, this week, we have a very special guest. Josh Grambo is on the podcast. And a huge thanks to Josh Grambo. I mean, this is uh, – man, just had a baby. Been doing comedy like two years. Lives – 45 minutes to an hour away from where they have open mics. My guy drives down there as often as he can. And you just, in this interview, you get to hear his passion for comedy. It's insane. The dedication that Josh Grambo has with comedy is unmatched, at least in people that I've gotten to speak to. When you're driving 45 minutes to an hour to an open mic to just get like a shitty two-minute spot in front of one drunk table and you actually like that, then, yeah, the comedy is definitely for you. And, man, two years this guy's been doing it, but watching some of his stand-up and, you know, hearing some of his jokes, seeing some of his videos on YouTube, this guy has tremendous timing he is a really solid joke writer for only two years in. I mean, you can tell that he's just been studying this this craft, the game, for a long time. And anyways, he was super nice and just a gracious host. Again, another comedian who let me into their home just to record their voice for a little bit. Insane. Insane. So huge thanks to him. Uh, very excited to share this one with you. Let's just get right into it. Uh, lady and gentlemen... Josh Grambo. Grambo, is that right? Yes, sir. Welcome, Josh Grambo. Thank, Thank you for you. doing this, man. No problem, Dano. That's amazing. You're Thanks a, for coming out. You're a grinder, brother. You came all the way out here to North Aurora, South Brighton. I live by the airport, and Dano came all the way out to Green Valley Ranch. where you live, and you do open mics from here. Oh, man. I lived at 50th and I-25. Yeah for my first couple months of doing comedy okay. and I bitched about like, ah, oh, it's such a nightmare drive. My girlfriend gets us a house and she's like, I was like, all I want, it has to be in Denver. Uh-huh. House has to be in Denver. She's like, perfect. The house eight zero two four nine. It's in Denver. Turns out. So the city of Denver wants to call DIA the Denver airport. Right. Even though it's in South Brighton, North Aurora. Yeah. Yeah. So what they did is annexed the land and there's a teeny strip of, if you look at a map, uh-huh. there's a teeny strip of land that connects the giant blob of Denver to the airport. <laughs> and we live right in the tiny strip of land <laughs> that is technically Denver. Whoa. Even though if you go a mile that way, it's Aurora, and you right. go two miles that way, it's Brighton. Huh. We live in Denver. So this is Denver. So she tricked me. Oh. She got this house. I come you. to see it. The first time we drove out here, I was like, oh my God, we can't do this. You've been bamboozled. I've been bamboozled. So now going to open mics every single night is a... Uh, How long is that drive, honestly? During... Like, if I want to go to, like, uh, Nathan Lund's mic at uh-huh. Three Kings on a Friday, it starts at 6. Uh-huh. If I were to leave at 5, I would probably get there at 6. Jesus. Yeah. So- at, but coming home at night, when I leave the mics, 1 a.m., 20 minutes... Ah, you know, no yeah. big deal. At 1 a.m. you're leaving? Sometimes. Before, uh, I, as I was just telling Dana before we got started, I just had a baby four months ago. Congrats. Yes, a little four-month-year-old baby. She's a, a nightmare. Do you like her? I like her now. Ah. I hate. I legit hated her. Yeah, I had yeah, a, yeah. a bit in my act about how uh, I hate my baby. <laughs> 
And when it when it was true in my heart, when I fucking hated this kid, <laughs> it got huge laughs. People were like, "This guy fucking hates his baby." Yeah, then as I softened to her, and uh. she was like more adorable. The first time I came in to like give her milk, and she saw me and smiled. She's like, "Oh, thank God you're here." I was like, well, if you like me, I like you, Whoa. you know? So as soon as I started softening and I was like, oh, I love this baby so goddamn much, the I hate my baby joke just kind of stopped working. The crowd picked up on they it. Could say, even though I said it the same way, had the pacing, exact same thing, it still got laughs, but it wasn't the, Whoa. oh, my God, this guy's an asshole. There was like, oh, okay, you hate your baby. And so now I don't do it anymore because it's, not, it's really? not true anymore. Make a bit about liking your baby then. Yeah. That seems less funny though. I'm so cynical in life that I can't, my girlfriend gets mad because I'll post things on the internet, like an adorable picture and I'll caption it. She's a fucking asshole. (laughs) And I tell her, I can't do adorable without mean and you Uh can't do mean without adorable. That's right. So if you're going to call someone an asshole, you got to be like, you're a piece of shit. I love you. (laughs) You know? So the same rules with cute babies. You can't. You got to call babies asshole. Baby though, man. She's gorgeous, and I love her. Little yeah. baby Lydia. Lydia. Yes, I call her Libya because she's a fucking hostile mm-hmm. nation. <laughs> she's an asshole. Uh, Josh, where are you from, first of all? Born in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay, hometown of, of Slipknot. Really? Yes, that's where Slipknot. I grew up as a metal musician uh-huh. my whole life, hoping that we were going to make it. And then as Slipknot grew bigger and bigger it became a real life like oh this is a job you, you were can following do. slipknots like up so we came up i was the generation they graduated high school when i was like freshman era so they're probably five years six years older than me wearing masks and shit and they were oh. and so if you can picture there was a famous bar in des moines called harry mary's mm. and it was probably the size we're in my house in our living room it's like 20 by 30 so if you imagine that's like the stage uh-huh. over there the whole and they'll have all whatever 13 dudes Whoa. kegs the whole nine up on this little tiny stage Jesus. and as a young cynical uh-huh. pothead 13 14 year old i hated it i was like fuck these guys they ain't going to they had all been in failed bands you know <laughs> Corey's from stone sours which didn't take off jim root was in atomic opera didn't take off uh-huh. so what slipknot is going to take off Cut to 20 years later, they're the biggest metal band on earth. I wasn't friendly with them, so we weren't like my them. my friends, like my bass player in my band was uh, Corey Taylor's brother-in-law. Whoa. So his sister was married to Corey for many years. So you got to know the guys through that, but they're too big to want to, you know, I you don't, don't want to, I'm an anymore. aunt. No, no. I never talked to him in the beginning. Oh, gotcha, Met gotcha, them. Gotcha. Everyone in Des Moines has their story about like, Oh, I kicked it with them. Cause they live there. Yeah, they they yeah. kicked it with everybody. They're fucking party animals. You Damn. know, my grandma's doctor was the Paul from Slipknot died from a pill overdose. Oh, His doctor's name was Dr. Baldy. And I know that cause that was my grandma's doctor. Whoa. They, it was a pill mill in That's fucking amazing. Des Moines, Iowa. So <laughs> it, it just intertwined in Des Moines, Iowa is Slipknot. They, they still live there, you know? Really? Yeah. They still have houses there. South side, big bomb ass houses. And so you're just intertwined with them. So, but growing up, that was a, a career path. It's like being a musician's a pipe dream right. until you see guys. It's like, I know you guys like, and you made it so we could make it, but we were drunkard alcoholics. And all we do is just get together and down bottles of gray goose and fight 
you know. Was that your thing? You wanted to be a musician, though? Oh, yes. Oh, I played. started playing guitar when I was 11, uh-huh. and I probably played seven, five to seven hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days Whoa. a year for about 16 Are years. Are you still good? Still pretty good. Yeah, I'm good. The thing you realize is now in the YouTube era is yeah. that, like, I grew up early when you had to figure it out yourself. Mm. So they had like shitty guitar tablature and stuff and you, but you had to like really grind now with YouTube videos and all these programs that like play it out for you. Guitar is just like every skill, right? The internet has taken it to like next level yeah. gaming, you know, records for speed running from the early two thousands. Yeah. It's crushed now cause it's so optimized. That's, That's right. everything. That's every skill. So guitar play, there's, you know, there's a, I think, a 10-year-old J- Japanese girl uh-huh. <laughs> who shreds me into the ground. Yeah. And I've been playing longer than she's been alive, yet she shreds insane. You it's probably a, shred harder than Japanese people in general, though. Maybe. I don't know. There are a lot of... A lot of shredders over yeah, there? Yeah, it's still popular there. Guitar's uh-huh. dead in America. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's over. Were you a funny kid growing up, or did you try to be funny? Yes. I, my parents were all alcoholics and, uh. like, owned a boat. <laughs> so we'd always be at, like, the lake, a shitty, dirty lake in Iowa, Sailorville Lake in Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa. And we would go there, and I would just try to make all the adults laugh. They would all be fucked up and messing with me, and I'd try to say weird, fucked up things to get them to laugh. But amongst my peers, uh-huh. uh, kids, no, not recluse. Funny. Wouldn't didn't want to talk. It self conscious. Yeah, didn't want to speak to anybody. But when shit faced adults, were like what's up? And I was like, shut up, old man. Whoa. And they think it was hilarious. And it's like, oh, I like this. Yeah. So I had a knack for it, but not not at school. Shy, yeah. didn't talk to nobody. That's foreshadowing the future. Because don't you per- like comics perform in front of drunk people? It's Generally. most comics have weird social things where to talk to the guy sitting next to you yeah. is a real nightmare. Right. But to go up on stage and talk to all 40 of you is the easiest thing in the world. Did you guys know that they give you ketamine before surgery? <laughs> Holy shit, I did. I man, we're going to give you a little ketamine. I was like, ketamine? Let me get my glow sticks. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Dude, I saw you post something like that, I think, on Facebook, where you're like, I can talk to anybody as long as it's through a microphone yes, or something. Through or a, a microphone or a camera. What is that, man? Why I don't do know. Like that? I don't know. It's something interpersonal. I don't want, there's no judge. Like, if you get a, it's always the, I don't know, spotlight thing. I don't, you didn't get enough attention here, as a kid. Make eye contact with you, honestly. Yeah, it's tough. Huh. I have to look away just to feel. Normal now. Were you into comedy as a kid then? Did you like obsessed? Watch oh my god, obsessed. Really? Deaf comedy jam uh, in the nineties. Yeah, these black guys would go up on stage. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about or <laughs> saying, and I just remember guys would go up on stage and they take the microphone out and they give a they'd give a look at mm. the audience and they'd bust out laughing. Yeah, and I was just like, what? Getting just having laughs without talking. That's you know. Tough. Uh, it's amazing. So then yeah. as I got older, I discovered Carlin was one of my first early loves and I was just obsessed with the wordplay. I remember what year is this? Nine, 95, 94, okay. somewhere in that. Yeah. All right. I remember his first joke that really annihilated me was that you can 
about language and what you can say and can't say. And he said, you can just remember, you can prick your finger, but you can't finger your prick. <laughs> and that I was like my quote for years. I was like, oh, this guy's a genius. He is a genius. And nowadays, Carlin asked wordplay comedy isn't. What happened? So, uh, one of the com- young comedians, Dylan Dean, 21-year-old Dylan Dean, uh-huh. he said something that I think is true. He said that in the modern age, it's kind of meme, wordplay's meme humor. It's uh-huh. like, why would I don't want to see a comedian say a meme. So it's that like when you sucks. say, that's you could see that. You can't prick your finger, but you can finger your prick. We'd make a great meme. Carlin said that on stage. That wasn't like a thing in his book or yeah, anything. Yeah, no, no, that was damn part because he had a long things about words and right he okay. would sometimes he would just have, just have strings of it yeah. it's an intergalactic perfect micro pencil pocket shaver and then he's say words for five minutes and it would be comedy and it was huh. we died laughing you don't think it would work now five minutes of straight words i know a lot of comedians who outright don't respect george carlin modern young open mic denver comedians what are they talking about though why? What are they? Where are they coming it's, from? Because uh, it's the angry like topic. You know what's Bleachy. wrong with this place is yeah. this and that, and then the wordplay. But he, you know, Carlin wouldn't pun necessarily. Yeah. But he would do a lot of wordplay and yeah. weird sort of stuff, and that's just not respected in the common era. Is it gonna come back? You think? I don't know. I'll make it come back because that's on. That's like. 90% of my style right if now. If you commit all the way, you see a lot of guys who commit like a Dimitri Martin sort of style where you commit like that's that shit wouldn't play for my personality. I could never go up there quietly, stand in one place and just deliver one-liners. Like just physically, I don't think an audience would accept me doing it. No. Yet for certain other guys, like we have an awesome one-liner comic with low energy, James Draper here, fucking murderer. Really? And I could never, he could probably do my act. He could probably get bigger and do like more loud, intense stuff. But I have a hard time shrinking, like to go small and yeah. quiet and just drop these hilarious one-liners. I don't know. doesn't work. So you're 14 or whatever you're like playing guitar kind of obsessed with comedy doing things in front of drunk people Mm. how long does it take you to finally get on stage for the first time oh my god so i would go to the mics in des moines in Mm. des moines iowa i would print out my jokes on printer paper and i'd print it out and fold it up all night and i'd go to the mics and you'd go in des moines this is you know 2008 at this point okay so I always, I, metal was going good. We were popular. Our songs, we weren't popular, but our songs were What was awesome. your band name? Electric Assault. Electric Assault. Electric Assault. Okay. And so we were getting a few gigs here and there, opening up for like, even like a Colorado local band, Havoc came through. Nice. And uh, I had booked tickets to go to Jamaica <laughs> a year and a half earlier. Oh my God. And so my friends end up getting this gig booked and I'm like, when, oh, it's amazing. When is it? And they're like, Oh, it's this date. It's like, dude, I spent <laughs> like $2,000 on tickets to go to Jamaica, man. I can't. <laughs> so I'm like, do I do art or do I go? And I fucking picked, I picked Jamaica. Oh. Yeah. So I went, so I missed the, all, all the, that cool gig. And, but we were, you could tell, 
there was drama in the band. We were over. I was always the therapist that put the band back together. Mm -hmm. And then after the last drunken tirade, our last ever practice where everyone was shit faced and a thousand dollar guitar head got kicked off of a thing on purpose just out of anger to make a point. I was like, well, now I quit. I was like, I've always pulled, I'm always the one calling everyone and getting, no, nah, man, it's all good, this and that. I was like, just so you know, now I quit. Would that have happened if you would have stayed and not gone to Jamaica? No, you that had nothing it? to do with it. That's just a, a side story about, like, how depressed I was that I didn't get to play with a band that end up fucking being a local heroes here yeah. in Denver. They're the biggest thrash metal band in Denver. No way. It's Havoc. Yeah, they do like Japan and all sorts of stuff. They're really big here. One of those 10-year-old girls shredding. So, yeah, when we broke up, that's when uh, my girlfriend's from Chicago. And I was like, I just want to move to Denver and just stop music, do comedy. And she's like, why don't we? I was like, you can leave Iowa? You know, that's a thing. You can leave. No one leaves. No one leaves. No one leaves. If you're born there, you die there. That's That's just what happens. Yeah. And she's like, let's leave. And we did. So we got here. So... Flash back, I so we'd go to the open mics in Des Moines. Okay. It'd be five or six comics in a coffee shop. They're grinding beans. No one gives a shit. <laughs> and they're literally, I called it joke club. Because uh-huh. you got five guys. Okay. They show up and they tell jokes to each other quietly much, yeah. and awkwardly. And then get up and tell it to me. And then I tell it to you. And then, all right. Bye, Dano. Good. I'll see you next week where I'll tell more jokes to you that I wrote and you'll tell jokes to me. And I was like a prima donna about it. Uh, I was too cool for it. I was like, I was like, I don't want to play in joke club. This isn't fuck that, you know. So I get to Denver. Okay. And um, so I end up getting a little bit of a Vicodin habit around 2007. Gotcha. And then that's when the band broke up as well. So it was like the band was starting to go shitty. Vicodin was plentiful in Iowa at that point. Doctors would just literally write you 180 pills a month. And then all you have to do is come in every three months and just say hi. Just literally you come in and say, hi, how's everything? Uh, Medication working? Yep. Anything else? Nope. All right. Well, here's another three months. Squap. So now there's another fucking, you know, 600 pills for this, this next quarter month. Jesus. What do Vicodins do to you exactly? Oh, I mean, it's heroin. I hate to bring you back to it. It's pilled heroin. Is that it? Yeah. It's just opiate. It's just distilled. What makes pills so attractive is that it's, it's just super, super, super clean, trustworthy street drugs. Uh So if you could take oral heroin, that was a hundred percent clean, super, super cheap. I mean, you could get 180 Vicodin for $22. Whoa. So I'd go pick up illegal pot uh-huh. from my buddy's house and then drive terrified through <laughs> the streets of Des Moines, Iowa sure. with this illegal pot. But then I'd go pick up my Vicodin, this Whoa. way stronger drug, and i just walk into the grocery store. What up? Fucking here Dude. to pick up. And I'd get in the car, pop two, and start driving. I got my script, got my bottle. I'm legal beagle. Holy shit. So that was uh, so that disappeared seven years of my life, like Thanos snapping. Just, no shit. I didn't I didn't do music really. I wasn't writing comedy at all. I had been writing comedy for my whole life. I had a notebook I got in 1999 okay. with just jokes in it, and I've been writing jokes since 99. 
I didn't do stand-up comedy until 2017. Oh, my God. Because the Vicodin just killed all that. And then as soon as I got off of it, I moved here, didn't get a doctor. I actually went to a doctor to try to get pills when I moved here. Okay. And they were, it didn't work out. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well. I'm That's gonna, for the best. I'm just going to go ahead and quit. Two months into, like, not taking pills every single goddamn day, it, like, hit me. I was like, what am I? Oh, my God, what am I doing? Whoa. Still was a prima donna. Yeah, oh, my God. Looked up the open mics, saw the mics, you know, this bar, that bar, whatever. It's like, okay, I'll probably go to those. Then I see Comedy Works uh-huh. has a phone number you call, and they have their version of open mic, New Talent Night. That's right. So you call in every week for 8 to 12 weeks. Sure. And when they draw your number, you get on there. So instead of going to an open mic, I I looked at comedy like losing my virginity. I didn't want to lose it to some dirty whore in a dive bar. (laughs) I wanted to lose it to a real crowd at Comedy Works. Uh Uh-huh. So... I called in and it didn't seem real. You call this hotline. You're just, you're just like Grambo, you know, and thank you. Click. And so 11 weeks goes by and I go and I call in and then they give you the names before you leave your name. And then it's like Grambo. It's like, Oh shit. I'm up in seven days. Whoa. And I hadn't written shit. Nothing ready. (laughs) Nothing. Performing at new talent night. Ah, so I get a wild hair at that point, and I spend the next seven days cramming. I need to have two minutes. I've never done stand-up comedy before, and I need two minutes timed. Yeah. And I've never done anything, and I would just sit and do it with a stopwatch and just do it and do it and do it. So I took out my old joke book from the 90s and took all the best jokes that I thought that I had. I had to take this joke, this joke. These are all my funniest jokes. Sure. What is a narrative I can tell that will encapsulate all these jokes? Because I don't—I just knew right then I'm not going to go up and do one-liners. These jokes won't work as one-liners, so I need to do it in like story form. Mm. So I made up the most bullshit, garbage uh-huh. act of like, you know, my buddy—he's a black trans athlete. Whatever <laughs> bullshit nonsense sure. came out. To get me from like, how do I, I've got a, a joke about Kool-Aid and I have a joke about sex condom and I, like I have to go from this. So it has, okay, well, what if I dated a guy who had a friend that would get those two jokes. And then if I do, oh, it was brutal and wow. awful and comedy works is so nice. Uh-huh. They, they laugh at everything. If you bomb at comedy works, you should consider quitting because <laughs> they laugh at everything. They're a very generous crowd on nice. new talent. night, So they laughed and they're very nice and it, it went fine. But looking back, it was the most cringy thing ever. Do you remember the best joke from that set or anything that kind of stands out? The final joke was, I don't remember the setup because once again, the setup was bullshit. Uh-huh. All I had was the punchline. Right. Very Carlin esque joke. Cause this is what I love. I love the wordplay. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about women using sex toys and not needing men. And the, the punchline was, uh, you can't treat women like objects because women can treat objects like men. Ah, and it was a, it's the finger you prick, prick yeah, finger joke. Yeah. I never even realized that until we just had this conversation. That's, that's like, it. holy shit, that was my, yeah, Same my recipe, first joke was words. exact. Yeah. yeah. So and it did good, but I stumbled. My best joke was my closer. I said all my terrible jokes, great. And then when I got <laughs> to the closer, where I'm like, all right, this is my big hammer. I stumbled my words <sighs> and didn't hit at all. Is there footage of that? 
that first there mic? is i so at comedy works you can buy your footage uh-huh. and i did and i have it locked away on a hard drive locked away and so i'm too insecure as a comic right now ah. right so to release it now would be yeah. like oh i'm so terrible but if in five or six years uh-huh. i actually have success in comedy and i have more self-worth in sure. my heart about stand-up i will be more than happy to release it to the world to all right because it's in hd quality and hd audio it's so embarrassing to have your first two minutes ever holding a mic because i've been in bands my whole life but i never touched the mic oh never i do i wasn't even able to play and sing not even back i can't even my brain can't walk and chew gum with music Ah. so if i'm playing guitar i can't sing unless it literally follows the progression do 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 da do 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 then i can do that but anything else i can't so i never touched a mic until i pulled it out at comedy works wow. stage <laughs> like an idiot. then i went to voodoo comedy club uh the next day that was tuesday voodoo was on wednesday i went to voodoo the next day and uh they were not as yeah good generous laughers as did comedy you because i think that's five minutes of voodoo right it or? was four at this time four yeah. okay so did you get more material ready past the two minutes or I don't even, to stretch honestly it out? now i don't even that's i bombed so bad <laughs> it was a packed house mm-hmm. when nikolai roscoe was hosting voodoo it still mm-hmm. is packed a lot yeah but there'd be times where literally it's standing room only in voodoo it'd be like the one of the best showcases in town was the voodoo open mic yeah and yeah, I, I bombed so hard, started sweating, and when you're bald, sweat just pours. Oh, yikes. It just, you got, ain't got no hair to soak it up. Nothing. So it just pours in my eyes and shit. So I'm bald with a shaved head. So it just, there's when you start sweating, people see it. Wear a beanie. Bring a baby wipe. Yeah. I also, I learned with women ah. that the same laws when dating work with audiences is that you want to just start with the hat off when you're bald, start with hat off That's fair. because when you take the hat off, it's shocking. Yeah. 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 My current girlfriend fiance right now, when I first met her, she told me the first time you pulled off your hat, I was like, Oh Jesus Christ. Oh shit. You scared her. Cause you seem like you have hair. You got this beard line that looks like it goes to hair, but it, it don't go to hair. I got a theory that if you got a beard, you're probably going to be bald. And yeah. If you have a full head of hair, you can't get a beard. There's a lot of hairy son bitches in Denver. Yeah. It's just hair and beards and neck beards all tied into one yeah. nostril hair. But you might have a point. Dude, I got a theory that, like, tied up. I call it the puberty theory. Okay. Puberty hits men in four distinct ways. I've said this before, but basically you have the ability to grow a full head of hair, mm. ability to grow a full beard, deep voice and you're of average height or taller Mm -hmm. my theory is that most men only get two of the four traits meaning that if you got two two of them are canceled out like in your case beard but bald Mm. my case full head of hair this is all i got this is 24 years in the making and that's it well i would trade you the ability to have a beautiful beard for a little bit of hair well i'd give up my deep voice for your height man Oh well, I'm no, I don't know how tall I am. You're so. five ten and a quarter. Five, yeah, yeah I got five, a nine ten and a quarter. quarter. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, five ten and a quarter is pretty. Dan Dano knows his heights. Height. Goddamn, yeah. I'm good at guessing shoe sizes too. Um, right. We'll do that afterwards. <laughs> I'm looking uh, forward to it. I just, I like to throw in random questions in the middle of these interviews. Yeah, all right, sir. Is white privilege a real thing? Yeah, I gotta get out of the house. I have my first child in two weeks. Little baby girl. Little baby girl. No. No. I can't afford a baby. I can't afford condoms. Obviously. 
it is with certain things it's blatant, certain things it's not blatant. With the police, it's blatant. Uh-huh. It works. I have my uh, one of my best friends in comedy, Anthony Dam Duncan, hilarious black comic. And we drive around together, and one of my constant jokes I make is that you, you're canceling out my white privilege, motherfucker. <laughs> Usually I'll just drive around like an asshole, and I don't worry about it. Yeah. But then I get him in the car, and it's like, fuck, now we look suspicious. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so when you're dealing with the police, when you're going for a job interview, and you have, you know, Jasheshquan as your name versus Joshua, you know, Joshua's probably more likely to get the job. But I would say it's more... I would say I make the argument it's cultural cultural privilege. Cultural privilege. If you have the Key and Peel Black Republicans, uh-huh. you know, those guys probably have fine jobs. Don't get harassed by the police, all that, you know. I, th- I think a lot of racism is actual culturalism. Gotcha. And they, they, hate the, they hate your culture. They hate that black people speak more freely. Uh-huh. They have more energy. Like they're just funner. In gender, and white people are buckled down. If you're mm. in a group of people and you're in a line, you better be quiet. You better not fucking talk. <laughs> you know, that's our culture. Asians share that same culture. Yeah. And I oftentimes, I was on a train going down to New Year's Eve one time and there was all these people partying in the train. And I remember for a second, I was like, just be quiet, we're in the train. And then I was like, oh no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, uh, right we're all dying. <laughs> we're all dying. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. You, oh, you're gonna be on your deathbed going, I'm glad I was quiet on that train. No, we wow. do need to be loud and we yeah. do need to be crazy. But I know I was growing up, shut up. Shut up, be quiet, shut up, be quiet. You know, uh, so I think that a lot of it is cultural, but goddamn, they're definitely white privilege. But I don't think that here's here's my big problem with white privilege. Sure. Uh, and I'll, I'll give it to you in the same context as race as sex okay. between men and women. My girlfriend bought our daughter a book called Baby Feminist. Okay. Right. And I'm going through the baby books and I see a book written by Jimmy Fallon ah. and I don't care for Jimmy Fallon. So I take that book and I throw that shit in the back of this closet behind all the shit. Fuck you, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> get, you're not entertaining my daughter. <laughs> then I get down all the next half, the half the pile of books and I get to baby feminist. Ah. I don't even crack it open to see what it is. I just throw that shit. And my girlfriend's like, where did baby feminist go? And I was like, I fucking threw that shit away. That seems sexist up front. Right. I explained to her, here's here's my problem with baby feminist and feminism. This girl is not going to grow up with the idea that she's a second class and needs feminism. Oh. We're not even going to introduce that concept. Gotcha. You're not, women are not, I grew up in a family uh, of a sister, a mom, a grandma, an aunt, all strong women all made their own way in this world. No men were helping these ladies. So I grew up in the matriarchy. Women were strong, powerful, in charge of their own destiny. I think that in socialness, it's backwards. Uh Men are the emotional wrecks and women are gangsters. You think? Women are more in touch with their emotion and more kind of hyper emotional. Mm. And we're de- a little bit more dead inside. But when the rubber meets the road and you ask women who've been in long-term relationships, when guys start letting their masculinity shield down, you're going to find a lot of women like, ah, oh, he's a bitch. I'm Whoa. sick of it. Like he's so whiny and cry. That's every bad relationship is a crying man 
in real i mean maybe not maybe i just hang out with a lot of comedians I with, think that's what it is. with women yeah, issues but is. in my experience a lot of men are emotional cry babies and women wow. are actually gangsters like i ain't got time for this you need to grow Damn. up and i'm gonna find someone better you know and they do yeah whereas men cry babies so yeah. i don't have that view so with baby feminism i don't even want the idea that you're you need to like work harder to be as good as you are you're as good just built you're yeah you're, you're just biologically you. different so i don't so the same thing i would say with the problem with white privilege is that when you're raising kids with these ideas of like oh white people have privilege and you're gonna have to i guess that might be real but i don't know man i feel like if you were just you know, yeah. snapped into existence and you never had any knowledge that you were a second class citizen, You, the confidence you would carry with yourself would just shine through. And I don't, I think with the internet, we're teaching kids from day one, like here's sexism and racism and here's every, here's your starter kit tools. Here's your group that you need to identify yeah. with. Yeah. So I don't, I don't like any of that stuff just based on pure theoretics, but life isn't pure you know, game theoretical. You're not going to erase these concepts. Mm. So I guess you got to acknowledge them. And, and it's there, right? A little it bit. It is there. hundred. And like I said, with police and things like that, oh, dear God, yes. Yeah. Come on. I get that. Yeah. So you hear about that stuff. And I know when I book a show, I always try to get the funniest women. I have a very particular style of women. Com I like the gangster women. Mm. I like the women who are, I like Megan DePonza, Mo Vita, you know, uh, the, the gangster women. Movita's funny. She's been uh, doing it a while too. She's oh, uh, she's a killer. She's doing my show. We do a comedy game show ah. once a month called Punchline Jeopardy. Dude, I saw this clip. Michael yes. Isaacs. He <laughs> won the last one, right? Yes, he did win. Yeah. If it was a porno. If it was a porno, we love that category. All right, guys. What if the Wizard of Oz was a porno? Michael. The Jizzard of Ass. <laughs> Apples. <laughs> The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Sarah? I just don't have sex enough. <laughs> oh, shit, oh, my bitch. Man, just dealing without a buzz. I think so. You asked me over the opportunity. He went episode one. Sarah Benson was hilarious, though. Oh, Sarah. Sarah played the game. We've been doing it. We did it at Kinga's Bar uh -huh. before an open mic for nine months. I had the idea for this show, and I was like, hey, you guys want to do it? And they're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And then it became funner than the open mic. We nice. do it, and the drunkards at 1130 are like, ah, that's funny. Then, all right, guys, we're starting a comedy open mic, and the energy's like, <laughs> we don't care. So organically, over nine months, we realized we should probably do this as a showcase. Mm. So we did it. Last month, booked a venue, Diebold Brewery, stuffed 30, 40 people in there, and said, all right, let's let's see if it works. And it worked like a motherfucker. That's awesome. Sarah, and Sarah Benson, so we'd probably done the game 40 times, 50 times. Wow. Sarah Benson played it in a way I've never seen anybody play. She's so goddamn funny. If you guys yeah. don't know Sarah Benson, check her out. on. Look her up, yeah. I think she she should have a YouTube page. I've never looked her up Doesn't, on YouTube. Uh, what she's a part of Hot Buns is that Hot it? Buns with with Megan DePonza, another I, one of my favorite comedians in Denver.
That's amazing. Um, so you started doing stand-up in 2017 then. Yep, 10, 17, 17. Dude, October 10, 17. 17. That's my birthday. Yeah? That's my lucky number, Fuck too. That's yeah, crazy. That you well, that was that. my rebirth day, so we Whoa, share that. Hey, Comedy was like my rebirth of like, oh, when I was doing Vicodin, I'll just be dead by 40, you know? <laughs> Who fucking gives a shit? I literally have nothing to look forward to. I just watched, I watched every episode of Lost Oh my god! in like 10 days. Ugh. It's 150 hour long episodes. Dude, I'll edit this part out because that's, that's oh, pretty rough. Vicodin, baby. Jeez. I was just taking fucking bong hits and just taking handfuls of Vicodin and I had nothing else to do. Whoa. And season one was so good. Is, I there, needed any, to know. is there any comedy that comes from that time in your life, though, when you look back at it now? I'm having a hard time. When I talk about things that happened from the minute I started doing comedy. Uh-huh. When they when things that happen to me go through that filter now, they're fu- but recalling old stuff hasn't been working. No, even though I have a lot of weird, crazy shit that I worked at an ice rink. Okay. I drove a Zamboni for ten years at an ice rink. There's got to be something there. And dude. I tell this, yeah, I have the a word ho- Zamboni is so funny. Exa- and Grambo Zamboni, everyone called me Gramboni. Oh my god! When the on. kids found out about Grambo, it was like that was my nickname, <laughs> Gramboni. Still to this day, was I still have friends. I'll go to home. They're like, Gramboni, what's up? <laughs> Sons of bitches. And I have all this material about it, and it just doesn't fly. So it's it's hard to capture the the energy of it's so long ago. I don't have the same attachment to it. So it's oh, like saying I, it. it's like saying I hate my baby. I was just gonna say that it, it doesn't have. I'm just saying it. They can hear it. Yeah. Ah, that's a shame. Yeah, but well, as I get better, that'll change. Yeah, I think it will. You've yeah. been doing it about two years now, though. Oh, yeah. Almost coming. Uh, two years, right? Two and a quarter. Pretty much two and a quarter. Two, two and two months. Do you still get nervous before? Not really. I'm pretty hungry to get up there now. Ah. When especially I have something new uh-huh. that I know is gonna work. I had a, uh, they had a fallout at this gig mm-hmm. where you go up. I just said yes. Okay. Just like when you were asking for podcast interview, I didn't, I didn't like, oh, let me look this guy up before I say yes. I was yeah, just like, you just hit me up. Hope man. he's not a white supremacist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that happened to me once. I said yes to a podcast and then leading up to the week. I looked, I finally, I did actually look it up Whoa. and it was like a bunch of not white supremacist shit, but just like an asshole. Like ah. this guy, I really, my comedy's borderline. I'm right on the borderline. Is this guy a piece of shit? Right, right, right. <laughs> so if I go start going on that sort of asshole troll shit, I don't want to get mixed up in that. Crazy. So, but yeah. you don't get nervous anymore. No, no. So you just go up and roll. I said so there was a cancel in the, out of this gig and there was like public speak. It was like a Ted talk. I okay. didn't know. I, I signed up to be the comedian, at like a Ted to a local Ted. It wasn't a Ted talk, but it was like that. Kind of like that. And so they even, it was so out of my element. And when they introduced each speaker, they introduced them with like their preferred pronouns. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So super woke, super like one of the speakers was like ice detention centers. And she almost started crying or like taking. And I, my buddy looks at me like you're doing comedy wow. after this. And even through that, I still was like, I can't wait to get up, uh, you know, and it went great. Just like is just hungry to get it. Like, let's do it, you know, and I'm old. So it's like, I'm in my thirties now. I'm 35. I need to get you really think you're old? I don't think you're old. Uh, I'm comedy old. No, there, there's no, a man. there's a hilarious young lady in comedy, uh, Lily Osberg, 17 years old. Shout out Lily. I see her at the Mutiny pretty much every <sighs> Tuesday. 
17. She's a killer. So freaking funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm double your age. Yeah. I'm double. You're not comedy, old man. I think about it all the time because, like I said, I haven't gone up in about a month. But mm-hmm. something I tell myself to make myself feel better is like, Rodney Dangerfield started when right. he was 50. <laughs> right. Ray Romano didn't do his first mic till he was 24. And then you right. think about all your favorite comedians. They're all like in their 50s and 40s. Yeah, but they're all 20 years in. Even so. I'm just saying. The comics that you know are older comedians. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm still doing it. Yeah. This is the thing that I told another young comic, Titus Milan. I think he's 21. Mm. And he, I was like bitching about being old. And he's like, no, man, you're not old. And I was like, well, I was like, let me stop you there. I'm not looking for sympathy. Right. I was like, I have one thing you don't have. Mm. I was like, when the going gets tough in comedy, and it will, because there's always going to be brutal times when you're doing stand-up. That's the nature of the business. When the going gets tough and you start asking yourself questions, like maybe there's more Maybe I should go back to college and get that job. Maybe I should go work at my uncle's insurance. I could make six figures doing mm. that. When you're asking yourself those questions. Lean on white privilege. I'm already dead inside. Ah. I've exhausted. No, I'm not going to go back to college. I'm not going to work at some fucking guy's insurance. I'm never going to make six figures doing anything. Yeah. I hate every job I've had. Yep. And when I got to Colorado, I was going to work in the pot industry. I smoked weed since I was 12 years old. Weed's given me everything in my life. I love weed more than anything. Let me go work in the legal cannabis industry. That's going to be the... And I fucking hated it more than my Zamboni job. It's still corporate, man. I hated it so much. And that's when I realized I worked at a big dispensary, the most corporate. That's right. And they hire every spectrum of person. So there's... Old black guys, young Asian women, old white ladies, every single swath of society is there. And the funnest I had is when we're supposed to be mopping the floors and I've got everyone gathered in a circle and I'm telling them some, I smoked DMT last week and, you know, here's the crazy story and they're all laughing and listening to me. And I realized just doing some soul searching, like what do you you just have? The first question to happiness is what do you want? Mm -hmm. What do you actually want in life? And when I looked at what do I want, what's my favorite things to do? I love teaching people new skills and I love gathering people's attention and making them laugh. Mm. So I was like, it seems to me that comedy you, and I've known my whole life. I wanted to do comedy. Okay. So I finally got off my ass and did it. So that between being older and feeling like I'm out of time right. and just being hungry to do it and knowing all that, I don't have to worry about the questions of like, will I, will I quit when I'm in a ho- I got a family now. I got a, I got a kid. So I got, I got everything I need other yeah. than the career I want in comedy. So it makes, I have no boundaries. Uh-huh. You know, the idea of going to a dive bar to go make $500 or, you know, whatever situation, if, if once you get to a certain level, you know, if you can feature it like the funny bones, sure. if you can get it, you know, it's 900 to 1500 for a weekend. That's not bad. That's amazing. That's league minimum. So that, that's a decent way. So if I could leave, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every single week. Well, most people are gone 10 hours a day. Right. I'm just gone 10 hours a day in a row three days in a row. Ah. So, and it'll be, I hate responsibility and family. Says, I think it's going to be the best situation. So I don't fear. I look for when I was telling Dana before the podcast started, my mom passed away from cancer mm-hmm. and I went to, I hosted an open mic at a dive bar 
went in after leaving my mom on Mother's Day. Like I spent the day with her. Love you, mom. Spent Man. five hours with her. Had dinner. Love you. Goodbye. Go to the fucking open mic to host it. Do my first. Tell them. Guys, my mom sick, cancer ward, just came from her to come tell you guys jokes, hosting wow. it. The show must go on. Tell my first joke. And some drunk lady in the back of the bar goes, you're not funny. <laughs> and it was, and I just laughed my, and not only was I not offended or upset or mad, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, this is comedy, baby. Oh, man. This, so I love the bad in comedy. Yeah. I think the bad is the funnest part. Doing we do Kingas on Colfax midnight. You're doing a set at 1215 yeah. and hobos are coming in asking for money. Wow. And it's the greatest experience That's what ever. you love. So getting ripped to shreds in comedy is the only thing that makes you better. Wow. So the, the pain. Yeah. I, I made a meme one time where it was like a car with a gas pump. And uh -huh. it, just, it said comedy. Car was the comedy. And then the gas pump said pain. Oh, That's wow. It. Pain is our fuel. Do you think that you can be good at comedy if you're too happy? Or is there like some sort of depression or misery that you need to common, be funny? Common wisdom is that you have to be fucked up to do comedy. But right. there are case studies of perfectly healthy. Chris D'Elia, famously, a super hilarious comic. Famously, perfect family, perfect life, happy upbringing, no trauma whatsoever. Right. So it does exist. But... 90% of great comics have a good chunk of trauma when you scratch the surface. It's all, I mean, the idea that your comedy is objectively awful. Uh -huh. Let me paint the picture of two feet of snow. All right. Family. Don't leave, you know, the <laughs> roads are bad. Like, you're not making, it's an open <laughs> mic. Don't even go. And you're like, got to, babe. You know, yeah. so you, and then you go out in the cold and start your car and you spend gas and you sit in traffic, then you pay parking, then you go to a mic that has 40 fucking comics. Yep. They get, everyone gets five minutes. Halfway through, they're like, we're running out of uh, time with comics, so everyone's gonna get four minutes. Uh, half an hour later, they come up and say, hey, we're actually even more behind. We're gonna start doing uh, two and a half minute sets, everybody. So you now you left, two feet of snow, parking, gas, drive, traffic, leave the family. So you could do two and a half minutes to nobody at 1130, maybe bomb, mm -hmm. get back in your car, drive home. That's the tragedy. It's, object That's the tragedy. it's objectively terrible. So if you're going to do that, yeah. there's something inside your brain that's uh -huh. probably broken ah. that needs the attention and the love. Like, I need to tell you my thoughts. Right. I have funny things that I want to say, and I need to tell them to you. And when you're a comic, the first time I got big laughs, I, it was like heroin. Yep. I was like, okay, this is, I was addicted to getting small laughs and I was, I loved it. When I got big laughs for the first time, I was like, oh, I like this. Cause some audiences are just generous. That's right. They just laugh at everything. Yeah. You know, and some audiences are fucking like, you better bring something decent asshole. Let me ask you something kind of deep about your own comedy, I guess. What do you think the strongest and weakest traits of your comedy are? Oh, bipolarness, thinking I'm better than I am when I'm doing good and thinking I'm worse than I am when I'm doing bad. Uh, when I'm doing good, I'm fucking, I'm the shit, bro. Right. I'm yeah. fucking, why ain't people booking me? I'm yeah. fucking killing it out here. And then when I'm not doing good, I'll come right here to this couch and lay in the dark 
and stare at the <laughs> ceiling and go, you should quit. This is a farce. What do you think you're doing? You're never going to – you think you're going to compete with Sam Talent? Right. You know, he's 10 years ahead of you and you, you, know, you suck. Give it up. Damn. And then the next day you wake up, it's like, oh, hit the mics. Hit the mics. That's what you do. Yeah. You know? See, if I after. feel good, I'm going to start sucking. That's, really? that's the problem with the yeah. overconfidence. I'm going to like go up there and be like, da, da, da. I'm going to say like the verbatim. I'm very good. Growing up, I always got, I was obsessed with comedy my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I remember always being disappointed when I'd hear like a second recording and I'd hear the same material. Yeah. I, I didn't mind hearing the same material. I was actually upset if you said it different. Oh, that's yeah, not how yeah, it yeah. That's, that's right. not how it goes. Yeah. It goes, da, 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 da. And then I open the door. And uh-huh. he goes, then I open the door. No, it doesn't go. Th- like, it goes, oh. then I open the door. That's how it goes. And right. I actually would be upset. He didn't say it the same way. Uh. And then you start doing comedy and you realize, oh, you can't say you it can't the same it. way, yeah, man. Your instincts are like. So I'll fall into that reacting. rhythm where it's like, oh, it worked like this yeah. twice. So now that's how I say it. Mm. And then it goes stale. And then yeah. do you abandon the bit? Do you say it different? You know? Yeah. Sex with a pregnant lady. There's one position. It ain't fun. <laughs> Having sex with your pregnant wife's like sticking your key in the ignition of a car you wrecked last week. Go <laughs> <laughs> all you want. She ain't turning over. <laughs> nope. Another random question for you. Um, have you ever stolen anything? Oh, God, yes. Oh, oh, what's the last thing you stole? I was a kleptomaniac as a kid. <laughs> I, uh... Might have borrowed some edibles from a dispensary <laughs> one time, uh-huh. and uh, that's a major crime. Mm. I'm probably going to jail. Thanks, Dano. Yeah, thanks. Hey, we'll. we'll uh, <laughs> what was the name of the dispensary? Uh, it was, uh, where was it exactly? Dano's Weed Shop. That's right. No, so that was yeah, that was the last thing. I, I it's too high stakes. Yep. Nowadays, uh, the reason I moved to Colorado, like the thing that really like was the the main thing is I started getting I, when I turned 30 I was like I'm going to get busted for pot. Huh. Like I just always have weed on me. Like yeah. I can't get pinched. I can't at 30 you take. Can't. So it's the same thing with any sort of stealing. I can't take the risk of I used to always like when I was in middle school, I was a kleptomaniac. Yeah. We would literally go to the mall and just see how much shit we could steal. Whoa, dude. It was the 90s. There's no cameras or fancy alarm yeah, systems. Yeah, the law in the 90s, though. Yeah, it was a good time. Spencer's <laughs> gifts. We robbed Spencer's blind. Yeah. And then, yeah, as I got into my 20s, I realized that I'm into a lot of fucked up shit and I can't risk. Mm-hmm. But when I was fucking drugs. in middle school, dude, yeah. forget, I would steal hair dye and just throw it out. I'd, what I'd, the, do you just steal it to steal I'd it? I'd steal it, bring it home, and be like, "I'm not dyeing my hair." Trash. Whoa! It was the it was the nineties. Oh my god! Spencer's gifts. I'm sorry. Spencer's gifts. I'm sorry. We'll Spencer's. refund all of it, all the dildos that he took. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead dildos. Yeah, okay, that's right. <laughs> uh, question about comedy etiquette. I've noticed that you know when I go to mics, a lot of comedians will go up and perform, and then as soon as they're done with their set, they leave. Yeah. That's a, a privilege that's to be earned. A white privilege? or That's a comedic privilege comedic to be privilege. earned. Ah. You need to, if you're brand new, you better fucking sit your ass in that seat and watch and hang out. For the rest of the night, right? To, you, maybe not the rest. You don't have to stay the whole time. Mm-hmm. But you better not just dip out after your set. Yeah. Once you're in the game, 
you know, when you've been doing five mics a week, three mics a night, five nights a week for four years, it's like, look, bro, I've done this shit. Fucking Jeff's up next and he's got a joke about being Catholic and Stacy's up after him and she's got a period joke. I don't fucking need to hear it again. I've heard it a thousand fucking times. Yeah, I'm out. So and especially if you got another mic to go through, you know, yeah, that's fair. Uh, Anthony Crawford told it to me and I didn't listen and then years later i realized it's probably right as a new comedian it's more valuable to like hang out and be nice and get to know people than to cram another shitty shitty set in sure you need to get sets in you need to do get stage time right but you're just going to leave voodoo and you're going to go to streets and you're going to bomb again and you won't have really talked to anybody so yeah. I, I think it's really important to hang out Speak with people. Be nice. Don't yeah. talk shit. For the love of God, don't talk shit. Like, you're going to want to. If you're thinking about doing stand-up comedy and you hear my voice right now, mm. there's going to be a time where someone wrongs you yep. in stand-up. Someone's going to fuck you over, disrespect you, talk shit, and you're going to be like, hey, I'm a person too, and you're going to want to stand up for yourself, and I beg you, stand down. Whoa. Do not stand up for yourself. Let the anger pass. Um has having a baby changed your comedy at all? I know that you have like a I hate my baby. That yeah, changed. definitely put it into perspective. I wanted to be a comic more than anything for so long that mm -hmm. the pressure I put on myself to do good prevents me from doing good. Mm. I'm so ner It's like going up to talk to a pretty girl in high school. You're so right. whereas if you just went up like, yo, what's up? It's like, it's going to go way better. Yeah. So same thing in comedy. I was so like, Hey guys, I'm fucking, I'm here. And I'm so excited. <laughs> and then when I had the kid and had all the, my lost my mom, it was in this two weeks. Crazy. It went from, we were in the same hospital. She was on, the 10th floor cancer ward and we were on the fifth floor maternity ward and mm. I literally would just leave the baby room, get on an elevator, go up five flights, two doors down and see my mom. So that transition changed my comedy. Me, the, the first set I did after all of that drama, you could, I just felt it. Yeah. There's like a level of like, I'm a little bit less connected. Like I don't care as much. That's it. I've gone through a lot. I really don't give a fuck if you people like me right You're now. You're a dad. That's a dad. Exactly. Attitude. I don't give a shit anymore. But the first six months of having a kid, they don't sleep all the way through the night. Yeah. So my girlfriend works. She pays a majority of our bills. I'm a comic. Shout know? out to her. Yeah, shout out to Sarah. Nice. And so she has to get up at 5 a.m. to work. So I need to really be there from 11 till 5 to feed this kid when they she wakes up just in case. So that has really fucked me. It's fucked my whole – because you used to go – like on a Wednesday mm – -hmm. You could go to Rising Sun Distillery at 530 mm. and you leave Rising Sun and you go to Syntax at 7. Mm. You leave Syntax and you go to Voodoo at 930 and you leave Voodoo and you'd go to Streets of London at midnight. And then after that, you'd get done at 130. Then you'd go across the street to DP Doe, get a calzone, <laughs> eat a calzone and talk <laughs> comedy until they close at 3 or 4. Then I'd roll in home, 430, girlfriend wakes up to go to work at 5, kiss her goodnight. She gets up out of the bed. I go into the bed. Wow. Sleep all day. Perfect life. Now the baby's here. Uh-huh. I don't get that momentum. I get one mic a day usually because I can get maybe two, but I got to be home by midnight. Wow. So I'm four months into the six and a half months. Uh-huh. So I'm over halfway i'm two-thirds of the way through so once she starts sleeping all the way through the night yeah then daddy's back out 
until 4 a.m. again. Damn, yeah. dude. That's crazy. Um, so what is the goal? What's the goal for you now? You're in it two years, but this is what you love. What's the vision? The goal is to follow the model of people that have come before. You get you take the best of the people that have come before you. Mm-hmm. I look at a guy like Sam Talent. Yeah. Sam Talent, punk rock comedy. This is a guy who goes anywhere and everywhere. You got a fucking uh, a punk show that needs an MC. I'm there. You got a ballroom dancing. I'll go do ballroom. You got rock and roll. You got any bar, any place. Doesn't need comedy clubs. Doesn't need. And he's mastered the craft and he's a beast. So you see that uh-huh. and you go, all right. Say yes to everything. Uh-huh. That's the first thing. Start your own thing. I don't get booked on a lot of shit. I'm older. I'm not as good as I think I am. Uh-huh. So, And there's also a hundred other fucking amazing comedians in this town. So I don't get booked on a lot of things. So I really strive to create my own stuff. Like okay. I said, we started Punchline Jeopardy. Oh, beautiful. So things like that. You just got to keep creating everything we can book venues make your own shows make your own mics yeah. create your own youtube co- content film anything you can sketches yeah. just make stuff create and then the goal is to build an internet presence enough that you can be a known individual yep do enough stage time to where you become a grinder create stuff and then you either go the path of Comedy clubs, you go the path of a uh, like a Ryan Hamilton, you know, not a not an overly famous comedian, but a very well known, very well paid comedian. Like and Joe this, List or someone. Joe List, uh, yeah, you go comedy club route. I'm gonna uh-huh. I'm gonna grind the funny bones. I'll be a feature act. I'll do this, or you go the Doug Stanhope route, mm. and you go, I ah, fuck the comedy clubs. Fuck I'm gonna I'm gonna book my own rock venue. I'm yeah. gonna go to a dive bar, and I'm gonna play to standing so i think that's the the goal in comedy is to not care all right well i like to end every podcast by asking a bunch of rapid fire questions all right so i'm going to ask you a bunch just answer to the best of your ability first thing that comes to mind sounds good uh what's your favorite color green when's the last time you spoke to your father oh never once when i was like four five he's a real piece of shit Shout out, Dad. Uh, do you believe in ghosts? No, God. What's the worst injury you've ever had? A uh, broken right hand in school. I couldn't write, so I had to write with my left hand for a year, and that shit was brutal. What's your favorite cartoon? Oh, uh, like modern or all time? Shit. I love so many. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the Frisky Dingo. Frisky Dingo. Dingo is a cartoon. The guy who makes Archer, uh-huh. uh, he's made Sea Lab 2020 on Adult Swim, and then he made Archer on FX. In between those two shows, there's a show called Frisky Dingo. If you like Archer, all of the jokes are stolen from Frisky Dingo. <laughs> it's all stolen. So you should just watch the two seasons of Frisky Dingo. It's fucking art master. Wow. It's a okay. masterpiece. I've never heard of that. Yeah, okay. you should check out Frisky Dingo. Who is your favorite comedian of all time? Um... A guy by the name Robert Schimmel. Robert Schimmel. He was a, a 90s comedian. He he was on the new talent special, Rodney Dangerfield, new comedian special with Dom Herrera, Andrew Dice Clay, a uh, bunch of other fucking top shelf comedians. Uh-huh. And he was one of the guys. And 
I had a videotape of his hour special. I used to watch Tripping on Acid like mm-hmm. once a week for years. And nice. I, I know that. So I really love Robert Sherman. He's the best joke writer. Ever. I got to look at him too. Um, what's your biggest fear? Uh, heights and judgment. <laughs> I'm terrified of heights. I hate riding on airplanes. I hate going into the mountains and driving. And more than even that, I hate when people fucking... If I look like an idiot on purpose, mm-hmm. I feel great. And if I look like an idiot on accident, I really want to kill myself. Uh, who's your best friend? Got two different ones. I got my soulmate, Darren Drozd. We're twins. We grew up next door to each other. His dad's name is Dave. My dad's name is Dave. His mom's name is Shelly. My mom's name is Shelly. We met each other when we were one and a half years old. We've been friends. He was the other guitar player in Electric Assault. Ah. He was my bandmate. We knew each other. We still talk. I see him every time I go to Des Moines. Friends for 35, 34 years. But my other mate is Eric Faust retired army sergeant Eric Faust the most masculine badass dude I've ever met in my entire life taught me rescued me when I was in the pill addict 2011 met my girlfriend didn't know what I was doing he was PTSD'd out from the army and we would just smoke pot and drive Zamboni after Zamboni nights fixing ice and doing shit we'd smoke pot and talk for hours Shout out Eric. And we just became, we fixed each other. He was PTSD'd out from the army and he'd tell me about fucked up shit. And then I'd tell him about all my pussy, like, I'm scared inside, you know? And we fixed each other and still, and we did DMT together once a week, every week for a year. At the end of that, you know a a guy's soul. Yes. It was a blood pact. Whoa. Um,. All right, I like to throw this one out. It's a fill in the blank, but I like to ask comedians this specifically. Say what you want about racism, but it can be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Two more. Um, What is the difference between love and in love? Huh. I would say that uh, sex has a lot to do with being in love Mm. and not a lot to do with love. Interesting. Um... And lastly, uh, my name is Josh Grambo, and I am... Comic Musician Loser. Ah, Comic Musician Loser. Josh, thank you for doing this. Dano, thank it was you a for pleasure. Thank you for cup of water. This was amazing. Amazing, man. You didn't drink enough of it. I insist to kill that water. I'm literally about to chug it right There's now. There's like one quarter of a penny's worth of money in that Josh cup. Don't so waste cheap. it. It's crazy. Hey, I'm Jewish. Hey. I can make that joke. He's Jewish. All right. <laughs> And there you have it. That was Josh Grambo. Oh, man, another huge thanks to you for sitting down with me and talking about some of the things that we talked about. It's not easy, um, specifically when dealing with addiction and being able to talk about it. Uh, this was the first time I had ever met him. We you know, talked a little bit through Facebook, but... Just somebody who is willing to share that part of their life um, and just be open about it and start a conversation. Uh, I mean, all the respect in the world to Josh Grambo for sharing all of that and then again taking the time to sit down with me and offering me a glass of water, which other comedians, if he offers you water, you have to drink all of it. You have to. Josh is, uh, man, he, he loves his water. He's a water guy. 
you know, one of the things that he said to me on my way out of this interview was, hey, you didn't drink your water. And so I chugged it. This is a common theme in uh, a comedian's life. It happened with Nathan Lund, you know, although he didn't really force me. <laughs> Josh didn't force me to drink the water and neither Nathan Lund didn't make me uh, drink the coffee, but I'm noticing that uh, comedians will give you a little bit of an eye if you don't finish the thing that they gave you. So anyways, if you're gonna go interview a comedian, finish whatever they gave you. Um, anyways, that was a lot of fun. I felt like we probably could have sat and talked for like three or four hours, man. Dude just loves to talk about comedy. He's so knowledgeable about it. You know, he says he's only been doing it two years, but you can tell that he's been studying it his entire life. It's insane. And in two years, this guy is... He's, he's hitting up comedy works. I think he's a great joke writer. And the, you know, limited amount of material that I've seen on YouTube and the internet... Um, and he also hosts Punchline Jeopardy, which is, uh, I don't know, it's hilarious, and it features a lot of Denver comics. If you're into comedy, if you're into Denver comedy specifically, uh, all the heavy hitters come through at Punchline Jeopardy, which he is a big part of. And it was insane that, you know, I met another comedian who has let me into his house just to record his voice for a little bit, gave me a glass of water with no um, and, and forced me to chug it out of, uh, being polite, you know, and whatever, you know, I don't want to waste water, Grambo's a big water guy, I want, I want to get that message out there, that Grambo's a big water guy, he, he'll give you water, and if you don't drink it, you're dead to him, because that's who he is, um, and you know what, best of luck with your newborn baby, I really do hope you like her, man, uh, that was a lot of fun, that was so much fun. This podcast, however, still in the midst of its greatest run of all time. Uh, next week, podcast favorite, Drew Van House is back. He's back. Uh, yeah, he is back. We sat down and, you know, we, you actually planned it out. And when you actually plan something out and put effort towards it, it comes out a little, a little bit better. So... Look out for that one. That one will be next week. Um, and it was so much fun. If you don't remember Drew Van House, though, he was the guy that I did uh, the Love Letters from the Past episode with. He also just sat down with me and we sort of just chopped it up for an hour. And uh, I don't know, that first one that we did, people seem to really like that one the most. But I think this one's going to beat it. I really do. We actually took our time and, and made something that we're both proud of. So please look out for that one next week. Uh, shoot, what else do I got? I guess a little bit of housekeeping just to finish this one up. Um, again, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Comedian.Ordinaire. Facebook at Dan O. Olivares. You know, however you want to say it. I say it like that because it's my name and I say it how I want. But And also, don't forget to email questions into the email. It's like that exists for a reason. So please send things in. Hey, what shoe size are you? Hey, who do you think you are? Or is your mom actually black? You can ask me anything that you want, and it will be answered on the podcast. And, wow, I, I don't know. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, so we are just going to end this one. Enjoy this outro music. It has been a pleasure. I'll see you next week.